Praise the Lord. Why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. If you were with us last Wednesday night, uh, you may recall that I taught uh, on the quickening of the Holy Spirit. And I really didn't get finished with what I wanted to get to and, and felt like it would be appropriate to go back over some of that and, and go a little bit further. So in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, Paul says, writing by the Holy Ghost, but if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. Now notice the word if. There are four words in the Greek language that are used and translated if throughout the New Testament. The first one is this one. It's the one that's most commonly used, and it really means since. The idea is if one thing, then another thing. And so this word really means since, and we know that because he's writing to believers. Well, believers would have the Holy Ghost dwelling in them, wouldn't they? So he says, but since the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Notice that word quicken. There is, um, it's, this word quicken is a word that's used commonly throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. In fact, in the Old Testament, it's used more than 240 times. And the majority of times that it's used, it's not translated quicken, it's translated live or lived. There are a lot of uh, chapters in the Bible that identify lineage and, and genealogy and things like that, where one person begat another person and then lived so many years, and then they begat somebody else and they lived so many years and so forth. And that's how the majority of the, uh, uh, the word that is sometimes translated quicken in the Old Testament is used. But I want you to see that Paul is saying by the Holy Ghost that there's a work of the Holy Spirit, a quickening work of the Holy Spirit that goes beyond just making somebody a new creature. We know if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things become new. It's talking about the quickening work of the Holy, of the Holy Spirit to recreate our spirits. But he's writing to people that have already been born again. So it has to be, we would have to conclude that there is a quickening power of the Holy Ghost that works in the life of the believer. Now we would also understand from what he's saying here when he identifies the quickening of your mortal body, he would have to be talking about healing or the life force of God that includes healing in this specific case. There was a, a teaching I think it went back to about 1979, maybe 1980. And I don't remember who started it. There were a lot of people that picked up on it and began to teach along with it, along with the, the original guy that, that came up with the idea. And he identified that in the New Testament, there were two different words that were translated word. One is the word logos, and the other is the word rhema. Brother Hagen named the Bible school there in Tulsa, Oklahoma, after this spoken word that in the Greek is rhema. And the teaching was that the logos or the written word took a back seat to the spoken word. And the word that he's talking about that, that they were referring to, this rhema that they were referring to, was a quickened word of God. And they, the way they taught it, I don't know if they intended it this way or not, but the way they taught it is that a rhema word or revealed word of God to you very greatly took precedence over the written word. For example, where the Bible says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's the word logos. And so I don't know how in the world, especially when we realize that the word made flesh was Jesus, the logos was made flesh. I don't know how you could put something any higher than that. But there is a place in our Christian walk and our Christian experience where we have to recognize, and I believe that we should pursue, having our eyes open to the truth of the word. There is a quickening power to God's word 
that we should all seek after. Now, having said that, turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 1. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, beginning in verse 16, he said, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Now notice in verse 17, he's praying for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. He's praying this to the churches. And if you look through the letters that Paul wrote, he has in some form, he mentions the prayers that he's praying for the individual churches that sound a lot like this same thing here. In fact, I believe that he is saying the same thing to the other churches that he said to the Ephesians. He just describes it in some different terms. This is the, the most detail he gives concerning the prayers that he prayed. But there's an abbreviated version to some part of this prayer to just about every church that Paul wrote to. Now, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to spirit-filled Christians. And he's praying that God would give the, uh, them and us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Well, now the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 that Christ has already made unto us wisdom. So if Christ has already made unto us wisdom, why would he be praying that we would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him? Well, the fact that he identifies that we need revelation means we haven't seen everything we need to see. And thank God there's always more to see. He goes further and says, the eyes of our understanding being enlightened. Now, this word understanding doesn't really talk about it. It isn't really talking about the mind. There are a lot of translations that translate this as the eyes of your heart being enlightened. But that's not necessarily talking about the spirit either. These translators are just going by the word that's used. And the word that's used for understanding really means the deepest thoughts. And so it alludes to the spirit, whereas it doesn't come right out and identify it through the words. So he's saying the eyes of our hearts or the eyes of our spirits being enlightened or illuminated may know what is the hope of his calling. Now, folks, if he's talking about the hope of his calling in a general sense, for example, that God wants us to walk in love or that God wants us to walk in peace, if those were the things that he was talking about concerning the hope of his calling, he wouldn't just pray that we would know the hope of his calling. He'd tell us what it was. But the hope of his calling that he's talking about has to be something that's unique for each one of us. In other words, I believe he's praying that God would enlighten our spirits, open our spiritual eyes so that we'd see what God's plan for us as individuals is all about. Not that we would see what God's plan for the church is or see what God's plan for the body of Christ is because he really elaborates on that in a lot of the letters that he wrote to the church. That wouldn't be a mystery. It's not a mystery. It wasn't a mystery. But there's a place where we're going to have to find out through divine illumination what God has specifically for you and for me. Now, we also gave some examples, and I'll go through a couple of them again just because I think they're such good examples. John Alexander Dowie, when he was a young man in ministry, he was pastoring a church in a certain place that was besieged by a plague, uh, some kind of sickness, black plague, something similar to that. And it had killed 40 members of his church. It was just devastating and ravaged through the whole region where they were, where he was. And he was in such dire straits about it. He had just come from hospitals, makeshift hospitals that they had to set up out in tents in the fields surrounding the city. And it was a situation where because this plague was so severe, as soon as somebody would die, they'd bury them 
to try to stop the contagion from spreading even further. And so he was distraught. One of his church members had just passed away. And so he went back to his house and he was distraught, as you could well imagine. And he just cried out to the Lord and he said, Lord, is, all, is the whole church going to die? And then he went on and he was praying and he said, Lord, if you're in this, then show me what to do. And by his own testimony, he said as quick as a flash, he saw something that he'd never seen before. He said, Acts 1038 was staring, staring me in the face and I understood what it meant. Now he had known it was there in the Bible all along. It was part of the rest of scripture that he had read perhaps hundreds of times, maybe more than that. But Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. He said as fast as you could snap your fingers and it's probably even faster than that. He said instantly I saw it. Sickness was of the devil. Sickness was the oppressor. God is the healer. And he always wants to do good. Healing is good, and God always is into doing good business. So he said from that point, armed with the things that he had seen just in a flash, a moment of time, armed with that truth, not another church member of his died. And they were able to help others to a great degree and work with the medical folks, whoever was in charge of the, the medical side of things, to help stem the tide of the plague. But even more important than the plague that they were able to stop for the people in his church, it launched a healing ministry that affected the world. John Alexander Dowie later founded a, a, a city that's still there in Zion, Illinois. And the pictures of the big tabernacle that they built was just awe-inspiring because all along every wall they had wheelchairs and crutches and everything you can imagine like that hanging from the walls things that people had been healed from and no longer needed and it was a healing ministry that was shocking when you looked at the results in the wide range of people that were affected by it and so forth well, now, what made the difference? Since Brother Dowie already knew what Acts 10.38, where it was in the Bible and what it said, what made the difference? The difference was that the Holy Ghost opened his eyes to see how that verse of Scripture would strengthen him and equip him to stop the plague or the sickness that God never wanted or intended to begin with. There's another example of this type of thing that had even more far-reaching results than that. And that was Martin Luther coming to understand just one part of a verse in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, where it says, the just shall live by faith. The illumination that came just on that one half of a verse was such that changed the course of the world and certainly changed the course of Christianity. If the world that we know of and the truth of the scripture that we now have access to had a beginning point, it was with Martin Luther. Because God opened his eyes to one half of a scripture, one little piece of a scripture, the just shall live by faith. And that revelation, that quickening of the Holy Ghost brought him to the place where Christianity diverged from the, well, the Roman Catholic Church, certainly. But it took the blinders off of the church world in a great and mighty way. Now, I've had a good deal of experience with these quickenings, or maybe a better way to say that is this. There have been times where the Holy Ghost has quickened scriptures to me that has made all the difference in my walk of faith or my stand in faith. 
One of the first times I remember the Holy Ghost opening my eyes to something like this, opening my eyes to Scripture, I was still living in Birmingham, Alabama. I had just a few weeks before come back from a seminar that was being held in Tulsa. It was my first experience to see Brother Hagen and be around the school that he started the ministry that he had there in Tulsa. We took my dad out there to healing school, not knowing that the, it was the same week that Winter Bible Seminar was going on at the end of February. And so we had a chance to see a lot more than just we would, what we would have if we'd gone when there was no seminar going on and just experienced healing school on its own. And so some weeks after that, after we returned, I really felt like that was the place for me to go. I, I can't really point to it and say that God spoke to me in such a way that it was identifiable. But to be honest with you, I saw that those people that were going to school, attending school there, had something I didn't have. Now, I know they didn't love God more than I did, but they had a, a foundation. They had a, a peace about them. There was something. And, of course, it was created by the Word. But there was something about the atmosphere there that I just felt compelled to be a part of it. Well, moving from Birmingham, Alabama to Tulsa, Oklahoma was a giant step for me and the place that I was at my life at the time. I didn't have the money to get there. I didn't have the money to live there after I got there. And so the biggest hurdle that I was facing was a financial one. And I knew enough at that point to pray according to the word that God will meet my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so I just simply said, began saying, prayed about it, believed I received when I prayed, and then began to confess that God meets all my needs. But after a period of time, one morning as I woke up, the Holy Ghost spoke to me, and I didn't have a lot of experience in these things until then, so I had a lot of questions. But the Holy Ghost spoke to me, and he gave me a scripture that's in First Peter or First Thessalonians chapter five and verse twenty-four. It says, Faithful, King James says, Faithful is he that called you who will also do it. But the Holy Ghost said it to me this way. It was quickened in my heart in this manner. Faithful is he that calleth thee who will also bring it to pass. Well, that doesn't change the meaning of anything. Doing something is bringing it to pass, isn't it? But there was something about it. There was something about the, the fact that the Holy Ghost had spoken this to my heart that made it a strengthening thing. See, where the Bible says God will uphold you and God will strengthen you and God will help you, those are all things that he does through his word. And so he gave me just a little glimpse, just a, a, a second and a half glimpse perhaps, of what it would be like for my prayers to be answered and what I was believing for to come to pass. And it became such a strength for me. I remember it now just like it happened yesterday. When God opens your eyes to things like that, they never get old. Now you can let them slip away. But if you don't let them slip away, they'll never get old. Well, it worked out. The finances came in for me to go. And then later in the fall, after I'd been enrolled in school for about five or six weeks maybe, I ran into another financial crisis. And I had to come up with the entirety of the tuition cost for the, the whole year. And I thought it was all the money in the world at the time. It was only about $1,200. But $1,200 was all the money in the world to me at that point in my life. And so... I began to consider what am I going to do. I had already extended my faith out for God to supply all my needs while I was at school. And so I really took it to prayer or meditated on it for a while to find out what the Lord wanted me to do and how he wanted me to do it rather than just praying real quick out of emotions. If I had prayed too quickly about that, I would certainly have been praying in fear.
Well, I didn't want to do that. So I, as I said, I took a few days to think, of, think it over and try to identify what God would have me to do. And there was a song that was popular at the time. It was by the Imperials, and Russ Taff was their front guy. And I had the album. I don't remember if it was something I heard on the radio, if it was something that I had played in my own apartment. But the song was, he didn't bring you this far to leave you. And something about that, it wasn't, I remember I was in the shower. And I didn't hear it at the time. I wasn't listening to it at the time. But there was something about it that came to my remembrance. And it caused me to stop and realize that God called me here. God's the one that sent me here. He moved in a supernatural way. It was really a miraculous way as far as I was concerned. I'm not sure it would meet that criteria today, but it certainly did at the time. He had moved in a, a supernatural way to get me halfway across the country to be where I was. Now, folks, I had no line, no idea how I could get a hold of that much money. But there in the shower that morning, there was just something that, that happened on the inside of me when I realized, and it wasn't even that God said it. It wasn't like I heard words on the inside. I sent you here for a reason. I won't let you go under. But I just knew that that was the case. There was just a knowing on the inside of me. This thing is done. So I just began to thank God for it. Well, long story short, the money came in. Again, in a supernatural way. And really, this part was miraculous. Because it was something that was mailed from Birmingham, Alabama and on a Saturday morning and came in the mail that afternoon, Saturday night. And it was just regular mail. It wasn't an overnight thing. I don't even know if they had overnight delivery back then. But it was something that God worked out. There was another time after we were pastoring where the Lord had impressed upon me, and it's the only time he ever has, he impressed upon me to believe for a certain amount of money to come in that year for the church. Well, I felt him put it on my heart in January. So all year long, I I've been, I've been, had been saying, thank God for so much money for the church. But then it got to the middle of November, and we were way, 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 way under the money that I'd been confessing all year. And at that time, we were in a bind and we needed for the, some of the building costs and some of the things that, we, that were going on. And so again, once I saw the financial records, saw how far we had to go to make the number that I had been confessing all year, something happened. I was going through a, uh, what was a daily routine at that time just confessing certain scriptures and putting God in remembrance of things that I'd been believing for. And a part of that routine was Mark eleven twenty three. 23. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. And the last part of that verse jumped out at me. It became alive. He shall have whatsoever he saith. And at that moment, I just spoke out loud to the Lord and said, Lord, I've been saying this all year. It doesn't matter how I feel about it. It doesn't matter what it looks like. You said I'd have what I say. And I've been saying all year that by the end of this year, we'll have X amount of dollars. Well, again, long story short, it was a supernatural way that God answered our prayer. And the exact amount of money that I had confessed for that year came in before the end of the year. I told you about uh, the scripture that he witnessed to my heart, the, the one that he quickened to my heart, Hebrews eleven six. after I got to school and was working with Brother Hagin. I had been believing God to meet all of our needs 
according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And the Lord put on my heart or spoke to me on the inside and said, seek my face. I won't go into a lot of detail, but if you heard me tell the story before, I really didn't know what that meant. So I took with me on the road with that uh, uh, road trip that we were taking with Brother Hagen. I took with me Strong's Concordance, great big book. And I went through everything that the Bible said about seeking God. And there was more than 150 scriptures that I was working with, reading through day by day as much as I could at one time. And there were some days where I missed and wasn't able to keep up. But after the summer campaign was over and we had returned home, I was walking up the steps in the administration build, building on my way to my office. And the Lord quickened Hebrews eleven six to me, which says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And the part that stood out was the rewarder part. And so I just stopped in the middle of the steps. Nobody was around. And so I said, Lord, that's me. I've been seeking you. So I thank you for being my rewarder. And in just a matter of a couple of days, they had doubled my salary and brought me the reward that I was hoping for. But I certainly wasn't looking to my salary to be the the way that it came. There's something about the things that the Holy Ghost quickens to you. Now turn with me to Luke chapter 24. I know we went through this and I won't take a lot of time with it. But I do want to refer you to a couple of things here. Luke chapter 24. Uh, where do we want to start here? Let's start in verse 13. It says, And behold, two of them, talking about two of the disciples that had been there when Jesus appeared and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. And behold, two of them went the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. Look at that word holden. It means to seize or to take hold of something. In other words, it's telling us that their flesh was holding their eyes from being able to see who Jesus was. They were seized, even though they're born again. They were seized because they hadn't renewed their mind to the word, hadn't had time to renew their mind to the word yet. And so they were prevented from seeing and recognizing who Jesus was. Now, I'm not saying that God's the one that prevented it. I don't believe he was. But the reality was they weren't able to identify who Jesus was. And Jesus entered into the conversation and said, what manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering said unto him, art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? And hast not thou has not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And Jesus said, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it, even as so as the women had said, but they saw him not. Now, folks, this has got to be part of the twelve to have all this information. Nobody else would have this information at that point in time. But Jesus said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all scriptures the things concerning himself. Then it tells us about how they reached their destination 
and they encouraged him to stay with them. He made like he was going to keep going, but he stayed with them. Verse 30, it says, And it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave it to them. Verse 31, And their eyes were opened. Now, this can't be talking about the physical eyes. It's got to be talking about their spiritual eyes. They saw something in the spirit that made a difference in their lives. Their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, I love this scripture. Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? Our hearts burned within us. Not when they realized who he was. Their hearts burned within them when Jesus told them about the scriptures that pertain to him from the Old Testament. Our hearts burned within us. Our hearts burned within us. Here's something I want you to consider. We know the power of God's word. We know that the Bible tells us, God guaranteed us actually, in Isaiah 55, that his word would never return into him void of power. Paul said by the Holy Ghost that the word of God is full of life and power. So when we speak the word of God, it's impossible for it to return to him void of power. Well, if it can't be void of power, then that means the word of God is the power of God. Paul said as much to the Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto them that believe. So the word of God is the power of God. But even as Paul told us, we see through a glass darkly. But when Jesus comes and we receive our redeemed bodies, we'll see and know even as we are seen and known of the Father. Think about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. No sin, no law of sin and death, no sinful flesh. Think about the untold source of power that they lived by. They didn't have schools to teach them about growing fruits and vegetables and planting trees and stuff like that. The only information they had to go by was what God had placed within them and what he taught them before the fall. That means the word of God was the only source of information they had. It was the only source of information. Folks, imagine what it is to see the word of God without the limitations of flesh. The untold, maybe even unimaginable power of God available without restriction, without hindrance. That's the way God created the earth to, the earth to be. According to the creation account we have record of in Genesis, that's what God wanted the world to be like. And it certainly is the way that the word that, that heaven is. There's no limitation to flesh there. There's nothing that can hinder or impede anything that is God's will because it is the kingdom of God. It is the territory over which he reigns. And that's exactly the way that he made the earth. Exactly the way that he made the earth. I mentioned Martin Luther earlier in the service. In 1517, Luther was in a love-hate relationship with God. His difficulty was that he could not get past his consciousness of his own sin. And the Roman Catholic Church at that time was rife with corruption, the selling of indulgences and things like that. And Luther knew that no matter what he did, no matter how he sacrificed his body or buffeted his body or punished himself or anything else, he knew he wasn't making himself any more right with God than he had been before. So when God opened up that half of the scripture in Romans 1.17, the just shall live by faith. He says of himself, 
that at that moment I was born again. Now, I don't think he means literally born again like we would experience what the Bible says about being in Christ. But he said it this way. He said, from that moment I was born again, and it was like the gates of heaven had opened unto me. Because it put and brought into reality the things that he was beginning to see before the revelation came. He saw the Catholic Church going to Mary and the other saints without even thinking about Jesus. But it turned all that, that on its ear for him. He recognized that anything that didn't go to Jesus first and foremost was of the Antichrist. Now, he wasn't talking about the Pope being the Antichrist. He was talking about the doctrine of the Antichrist. His eyes being opened to just one half of a verse of Scripture, just one little part of Scripture, changed the face of the earth. It changed the face of the earth. Now, these are things that the Bible says that Jesus told us the Holy Ghost would do. In John chapter 14, I think it's verse 26, he said, the Holy Ghost will bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Well, that's the quickening power of God then, isn't it? In John chapter 16, about verse 14 or 15, it says the Holy Ghost will guide you into all reality or guide you into all truth. And the Bible identifies itself as truth and reality. I believe this is what happened in Acts chapter 16. You remember when Paul and his company came to the crossroads on their second missionary journey. And they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Holy Ghost wouldn't let them go there. They tried to go into Asia, but the Holy Ghost wouldn't let them go in that direction either. So it says in the night, Paul had a vision where a man from Macedonia was crying out to him and say, come over here and help us. And the scripture says, so he related that story or that event to his companions, his traveling partners, Luke being one of them that's writing the account in Acts. And he said, we assuredly gathered that he wanted us to preach the word in Macedonia. So they went to the chief city of, the, of Macedonia, which was the city of Philippi. Something was quickened to them. In this case, it wasn't a scripture. It was God's direction for their lives. But it was a quickening work of the Holy Ghost. Now, folks, I don't know why things work the way they work. Why didn't the Holy Ghost just tell them where he wanted, to go, wanted them to go instead of making them try to go into Bithynia and find out that was the wrong place and then try to go into Asia and find out that was the wrong thing? It doesn't always work the way that we think that it should. Another example of that is when Samuel was sent down to Jesse's house to anoint David to be king in Saul's place. When he got there and told Jesse his purpose, he started bringing his sons to him one after the other. First one he saw was the, the tallest and the handsomest one of the bunch. So Samuel just assumed this has got to be the guy. But the Lord said, you look on his outward appearance, but I look on the heart. And so they came one by one by one until finally he ran out of sons. So Samuel said, is this all of them? And Jesse said, well, I've got one more, but he's tending the sheep. And Samuel said, well, bring him in. We're not going to sit down to eat until he comes. And when he came in, he was the least likely of the bunch, the smallest one of the bunch, the one that in many ways had the least amount of life experience. But the Lord told Samuel, and Samuel said, this is the one. Now, why didn't God just tell him, go down, to Sam, go down to Jesse's house and anoint David? Why did it work one after the other, no after no after no? 
I don't have the answers to things like that. But there's a quickening work of the Holy Ghost. There's a making alive, which is what quicken means. There's a making alive of the things of God that the Holy Ghost and only the Holy Ghost can make happen. Let me, let me close with this. Psalm 119, of the times where this word is used in the Old Testament, the more than 240-something times that it's used in the Old Testament, there are only 12 times where it's translated quicken. And about nine of those, I believe it is, are used by David in the 119th Psalm. Verse 25, My soul cleaveth unto the dust, quicken thou me according to thy word. He's looking for the quickening power of God to deliver him. The next, was in, next is in verse 37. Turn away my eyes from beholding vanity and quicken thou me in thy way. Again, he's looking for the quickening power of God to deliver him from the evil and seeing the evil around him. Verse 40, behold, I have longed after thy precepts. Quicken me in, in thy righteousness. He's looking to be made alive by the righteousness that he can't obtain on his own, but the righteousness of God. The next one is in verse 88. Quicken me after thy loving kindness, so shall I keep the testimony of thy mouth. He's looking to be quickened according to the mercies of God. The next one is in verse 107. I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy word. Here again, he's looking for deliverance by the word of God. The next one is in verse 50, I believe it is. Verse 49. Hear my voice according to thy loving kindness, O Lord. Quicken me according to thy judgment. Now, folks, the judgment of God, the Bible says God... Jesus said when he was here on the earth that the prince of this world was already judged. And then the Bible says that Christ condemned sin in the flesh. So here where it says quicken me according to thy judgments it's acknowledging that God's on our side and we are on the right side of righteousness. The next one is verse 54 Plead my cause and deliver me. Quicken me according to thy word. Here he's in a hard place again and he's asking God to take his side. Verse 156. Great are thy tender mercies, O Lord. Quicken me according to thy judgments. Verse 159. Consider how I love thy precepts. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness. And that's the last one. Now, notice several of these had to do with David in a place of distress, talking about being afflicted. And I'm going to propose something to you, suggest something to you. You judge for yourself. But in James chapter 1, why don't you turn there with me rather than me just mentioning it. Look with me to James chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 2. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. The word temptation means tests, trials, or afflictions. Hard places. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Notice verse 5 and 6. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Verse 5 and 6, if any of you lack wisdom. Folks, I believe that that's talking about specific wisdom for the trouble you're in. See, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, Christ has been made unto us wisdom. That's not the only thing that he was made unto us. But he identifies specifically that he was made unto us wisdom. 
If God has already made Jesus to us wisdom and we're looking for wisdom apart from Jesus who lives within us, then that couldn't be an act of faith, could it? But James, who's inspired by the Holy Ghost to write this letter to the church, talks about a wisdom when you're in the midst of trouble. Well, the wisdom that John Alexander Dowie took part of and beheld was a quickening of the word of God, wasn't it? When Paul and his company came to a place where they didn't know which way to go, they were quickened by the dream or the vision that Paul had in the night, and it gave them direction on which way to go. Folks, time after time after time, examples of the Bible show us that when people get in trouble, these quickening works of God provide them the information or the direction or the strength to either take another path or to keep going on the path at their own. I believe that's what James is talking about. I believe James is talking about the quickening work of the Holy Ghost. If you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. What are we asking for? I've been impressed to seek God for quickening the quickening work of the Holy Ghost. I know there have been times, I've, I've told this before, I won't go through it again, but there are four or five scriptures that the Lord has quickened me about during this latest physical battle that I've been in. And some of those go back four or five years ago. And I'm living on them today just like I lived on them when they first happened. And in any, any and every way that the Lord has quickened me or strengthened me, it's been through that quickening work of the Holy Ghost. Very seldom was it something that the Lord told me that I didn't already know was in the Scripture. More often, however, it's been that he quickened something that I knew was already there. And in many cases, he quickened verses of Scripture to me that I was already confessing for myself. But boy, they mean something more and more, something different to me now than they did when I was just doing it on my own. I believe that's part of what, I believe that's part of the equipment that God has given us to overcome in the time of trouble. And for me, it's, been a, it's made a big difference in me being, should I say able, or should I say willing, to count it all joy. See, because of some things that the Lord has quickened in me, counting all joy is a simple thing now where it wasn't, didn't used to be. I was offering the sacrifice of praise and I was thanking God for it because I knew that the Bible said to do it, but it was a chore. It's not a chore anymore. It's a delight. And the reason it's a delight is because of the quickening work that he's done. Because of the things that the Holy Ghost has revealed. I think there's a work of the Holy Spirit, the quickening work of the Holy Spirit that we need to pursue. It stands to reason, doesn't it? The Bible says in Psalm 107, verse 20, that God sent his word and healed us within quickening us according to his word regarding healing would be the way that he would bring about the desired result. That's what happened with me when I was working with Brother Hagin. I wanted God to increase me. I wanted God to multiply to me. Well, the only way he can do that is through his word. So he sent me on a quest for his word, and I didn't even know what I was doing. But by the time, some six or so weeks later, by the time he quickened the last the, uh, the verse in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 to me, particularly the last part, by then the Word of God had had some chance, not a great degree, but some chance to be planted and grow in my heart. And so he brought me to the thing that I wished to take place all along, by giving me the word that produced it. And that's the way God works 99% of, of the time. 
He works in response to his word. Thank God for the quickening work of the Holy Ghost. I expect quickenings. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we worship you. We magnify your holy name. We recognize the quickening agent, the very life of God itself that dwells within us. Holy Spirit, you are the quickening work of God to us. Quicken us according to the word. Quicken us according to God's way. Quicken us according to his loving kindness. Quicken us according to his righteousness. Quicken us according to his judgments. Quicken us, Holy Spirit. Show us what we need to see. Reveal to us what we need to know. Pull back this veil of flesh that we might see and understand who you are and who you've made us to be and what work you've given us to do and what belongs to us in Christ Jesus and the greatness of your power that dwells in us. Open our eyes, Lord. Quicken us in the precious name of Jesus. Reveal yourself to us, Father, that we might know you. Quicken us, Holy Spirit, to the truth of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let these things roll around in your heart. Talk to God about it. See what he would have you to do. I got to tell you, folks, I'm having a high-heeled time believing for quickenings. I've had some that I can't share with you yet. I hope someday to be able to do so. Thanks for being with us. We love you. Have a great week.